drum. Please grab young Ben. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Life story. The newspaper. For many of us, it was once a staple in our homes. For all of us, it will forever be part of the zeitgeist of the classic American household. For Johnny Snell, age 15, days begin early during the school year. They begin with an early morning exercise that has become a tradition for American boys. The young boy hopping on his bike at dawn with a bag full of rolled up newspapers, skillfully and sometimes carelessly tossing them onto his suburban neighborhood doorsteps. Mom and dad sitting down at the breakfast table with a fresh cup of coffee, unfolding the paper, ready to read the day's news, circling ads and cutting out coupons, and the kids scanning the comic section, eagerly awaiting to find out what new antics Calvin and Hobbes had gotten themselves into. And of course, what good was a newspaper without the hardworking writers, journalists, and editors who supplied its content? bringing the important news stories literally to millions of Americans' doorsteps each day. And while the landscape of local and national news has changed, and how we receive that news looks much different, for some, like Steve Cowsley, the importance of news, especially local news, has not changed one bit. Join Steve and me as Steve relives his many years spent in the news industry here in Alton, Illinois while revisiting the building that for over 50 years served as the home to one of the longest running newspapers in the state. This is Behind the Bricks, stories from the inside. I'm your host, Stephanie Young. The Alton Telegraph was founded in 1836 and has served Alton and its surrounding communities as a daily newspaper ever since. Steve's family, the Cowsleys, controlled the paper from 1889 until 1986. Steve took over as publisher of the paper in 1970, and he became the fourth generation of Cowsleys to serve as publisher. The first one was John A. Cowsley, and uh, he worked here as a printer 20 years, and then he bought the paper in 1889. But his, his family had come over from Ireland in the 1850s. This location, this building, is where Steve was first introduced to the world of journalism and newspaper publishing. Inside these walls was where Steve was given his first job and was where he would retire many years later. The building now stands empty and mostly deserted. But this doesn't faze Steve. His memories of the years spent inside these walls are vivid, and he recalls them fondly. He tells me about his first job working for the Telegraph. Uh, the publisher of the paper, Paul B. Cowsley, had a brother, Alex, who was actually my grandfather, so Paul was Uncle Paul. My dad worked at the Telegraph as classified advertising manager. When I got to be 16, old enough to work, they worked me in and I, I did every job you could, from sweeping up the composing room floor to uh, running ad proofs downtown once I could drive. And uh, it was just a great place for a kid to stay out of trouble and then come home with a paycheck, you know. Gradually, after working a lot of the, the funky jobs, I got into the editorial news editorial department. And one of my first jobs there was writing obituaries. <laughs> and. Uh, Mrs. Hannabaum was the obit writer. She was a great lady, and she knew all the undertakers. And they'd call them in on the phone, and you'd type them as you go. And 
So that was good basic training for a kid wanting to learn about journalism. But the newsroom had a copy boy to run the copy. The reporters would write a story and it would go to the copy desk and then uh, they would edit it and get it ready and throw it in a basket and the copy boy would carry it back to the composing room where the printers would type, run the line of type machine and, and uh, transfer it into type. I had a lot of other things. You had to run coffee and empty ashtrays. Everybody in the place smoked. It was a smoky den because my boss, Paul, was a real newspaper editor. We had a good-sized staff, bigger than most had. Two people in the sports department, two people in the family department. And naturally, I gravitated through all those bureaus for a time. Learned the territory. And that's just what you do in, in a situation like that. And then asked him about what it was like becoming a publisher himself. Knew the ropes, you know. But I, I had been assistant to the publisher, which meant you can do anything that I ask you to do. And uh, it was a pretty uh, friendly place, like a big family where people got along. We used to always say the newspapers is the most fun you can have with your clothes on. <laughs> blush, blush. The Telegraph has had many homes in Alton throughout its span before landing at 101 East Broadway in 1927, where it lived until it moved once again in 2017. The main reason for moving to this larger building on Broadway was due to the advances in how newspapers were being made and printed, thus requiring more room and more offices, as Steve explains. The Telegraph grew, and uh, as they grew and had more capacity for pages and what have you, they needed more printers. They needed bigger presses, faster presses. In the old days, they just picked type out of a type chase and composed words in a type stick in your hand. Then you take that block of type and put it into a flat platen, they called it. And then gradually they'd make up the paper. Maybe in those early days, they'd print a four-page paper once a week. Well, naturally, things progressed, and automation came in. A man named Ottmore Mergenthaler invented the linotype machine, and it had uh, all the type in the machine, and it had a keyboard, and they would press the keys, and the type would fall down, and it would be in a column, and then they would take those columns, put them in this flat surface, put a page together, and just gradually it grew and grew. And this, this building, it was really a major event. If you want a bigger, better press, you'd buy a used one because you couldn't afford new unless you're a big metropolitan paper or something like that. But this was quite an achievement, this building. The way it was built, it left room to do additions and and one building thing they they built in a it was a tall building like a bank lobby, and they built a floor in, and that became the business department. We had about 30 vehicles, so there was a constant job to try to keep them maintained. But through the years, this always kept improving as the newspaper grew. The building is three stories tall, and up on the third floor in the back was the composing room. The second floor was business office. 
promotion department. Oh, and the third floor, we also had a library. We had a full-time librarian. And she would clip the paper and file everything. And it was a great little library. And uh, if a reporter needed some background on something that <clears throat> happened several years ago, you go, Gladys, what do you got on this? And, like most industries, newspaper publishing was no stranger to advancements in technology. He describes the early days of receiving information from the Associated Press off ticker tape. An Associated Press had a machine that would put, they call it a teletype machine, and it would put a, a big rolls of paper like that and it would print it out. Then also there was tape which had a code on it and this tape would print out and say, there's a story on the baseball game and it have a number on it. And then you'd gather these things up and send them back to the linotype machine where the linotype machine had a little code reader and it would print it out. He goes on to describe how the building evolved to support changes in technology and the growth of the paper in general. It's a real challenge when all the computer age came in to replace the mechanical age. We started off with getting computers for the composing room and for the newsroom. We could see the changes coming. I can remember when it was so exciting when I first saw a fax machine. So if I typed a story, I could put it on the fax machine and ship it to the main office. Well, that was a big deal. A few years later, we're typing it into CRT, there was a keyboard, and then it would appear in here in a machine that would turn it into type, columns of type. And everything was going like this. The business office used to be all handiwork and adding machines. Well, we bought an, I think they call it a System 13 from IBM. And, and you see it today with all the things that's coming, and uh, it's not going to be the same. We're not going to go back. He tells me he recently went to visit a newspaper in a nearby town, and the entire operation consisted of someone working on a single Apple computer, the old printing press sitting idle in the corner, now obsolete. 24-hour news networks in the digital age have forever changed the landscape of how we get and digest our news. With so much news now available at our fingertips, and with the advancements of artificial intelligence, Steve recognizes that we have more access to news than ever before, but with that comes responsibility. But with the instant communications of television and radio, as well as the print media, the information gets out there. But the, the problem today is everything you get in that little handheld phone is just lots of information available to you. Bad information as well as good information, you know. So you have to decide for yourself what's going on. Even as things change, Steve still feels very strongly about the importance of local news coverage. And as he puts it, There's a phrase called guardian of the public's right to know. After all, the ideals of free speech and freedom of the press have a long-standing legacy here in Alton. It's here where Elijah Lovejoy, an abolitionist and newspaper editor who felt strongly about abolishing slavery, was eventually murdered in 1837 for writing his beliefs a death that some say was the first shot of the Civil War. Lovejoy's legacy is not one that journalists in Alton take for granted, and that includes the Cowsleys. One of Steve's proudest moments is when his uncle and former Telegraph publisher Paul was awarded the University of Arizona Zinger Award in 1981 
for distinguished service on behalf of freedom of the press and the people's right to know. It's a safe bet that most of those who subscribe today to the Alton Telegraph receive its news digitally, never having held an actual Telegraph paper in their hands. But for people like Steve, nothing beats the feel of a newspaper, the smell of the ink, and the look of the black smudges on one's fingertips after flipping through its pages. I asked Steve if he still subscribes to paper copies of newspapers, and he looks at me and smiles. I immediately know the answer. Yes, he tells me. I subscribe to the Wall Street Journal, and it comes every day. So what did I do four hours yesterday afternoon? I went through Wall Street Journals, and then I clip and save the stories I'm going to read more of later, and that piles up. Some things, thankfully, will never change. Behind the Bricks is written, edited, and produced by me, Stephanie Young, in collaboration with Alton Odyssey Tours. Theme music by Dale Lewis. Special thanks to Steve Cowsley and Krissa Cowsley. Cowsley.